you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're beginning in verse 47. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 47, reading through the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This passage divides into two parts, the first being the last parable in the series that Jesus gave in this chapter. And it is a parable that is very simple, very straightforward, and it teaches exactly what the previous parable in this section taught concerning the wheat and the tares. There is a separation into five different categories. Oh, I'm sorry. Into three different groups. No. Just two. We said before, it's a binary thing. This or this. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There is no limbo. There is no middle ground. You cannot be neutral. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. And you're either going to be with the Lord in heaven or you're going to be in hell. Now, I've occasionally over the years heard people who were utterly clueless talking about how they were looking forward to being down there in hell with all their buds. 
There's not going to be a party down there. It's not going to be the greatest rock and roll concert of all time, as some very foolish people have suggested. Nobody's going to be playing the guitar, though to hear some people would be punishment. But the fact is, there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, what's that? That's when something hurts so badly you're grinding your teeth because you can't control yourself in light of the pain. It's going to be agonizing. How long is that going to last? Forever. Pastor Wood, I, don't, I just don't believe in a God who would, who would send people into everlasting torment. Well, you'll find out. You see, you and I didn't create this universe. We didn't create the planet. We didn't create ourselves. And so the idea that somehow, if we don't like this aspect of reality, we now live in an age where people are really thinking they can determine who they are regardless of biology, okay? I loved the exchange Ben Shapiro had with a young woman who was arguing that it was wrong of him to not accept the reality of the transgender phenomenon. And she was insisting that this is wrong. He said, I'm not saying people shouldn't be able to say whatever they want about themselves. I'm saying that we should not have to join in their delusion. And she said, well, that's not fair. He said, let me ask you a question. How old are you? And she said, I know. You're going to say I'm too young to be able to say these. And he said, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. How old are you? 23. And he said, why can't you be 36? Well, it took her a moment to realize what he was saying, but most of the people in the room got it. And there was a great deal of laughter. Because what he was saying is, you didn't determine when you were born. You don't get to pick how old you are. I'm 67. I'm going to be 68 in a few months. If I decide, no, I self-identify as 53, it doesn't change how old I am. On a few occasions, I have jokingly told people that I think I look pretty good for an 83-year-old. I mean, if I self-identify as 83, does it make me 83? No. Well, if you want to believe that there's no such thing as hell, you can believe what you want, but it's not going to change the reality. And if you want to suggest that God's way of structuring the universe just doesn't seem fair. You can believe anything you want, but it's not going to change the way the universe is structured. And if you want to say, well, I don't believe in such a God, well, you can be a fool if you want, which is what the Bible says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But it won't change the fact that God is God. So we better come to grips 
with what God has told us. Well, how do you know the Bible's true? I'd be delighted to discuss that with anybody who's interested. Okay? Well, why do you believe Jesus is the only way? I'd be happy to discuss that with anybody who's interested. But there are a lot of people who aren't interested. They just throw those questions out. And they do not want answers. Jesus says that there is a day coming when there's going to be a judgment and a separation. At the end of the age, those who are going to heaven are going to be separated from those who are going to hell. And those who go to hell, Jesus compares it to being thrown into a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Either that's true or it isn't. Jesus said it. I believe him. You either believe it or you don't. Well, I'm just not sure. Well, you better decide whether or not you're going to believe the one who rose from the dead. The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is absolutely overwhelming. And if Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would, you better take him seriously. You better take him seriously. So, Jesus, having said these things, said to his disciples, have you understood all these things? And they answered, yes. Now, frankly, folks, I know this is true, that that's what they said. I'm not sure they really understood all these things because, boy, on a whole lot of occasions they didn't understand. But hopefully they got the message. And hopefully we've gotten the message. It's true. Meanwhile, we are not the ones who are supposed to separate the good from the bad. We're not the ones who know right now whether this person's going to heaven or this person's going to hell. We don't know. We've got clues. Jesus talks about knowing folks by their fruit. But people change by God's grace. See, I would have said there was no way Saul of Tarsus was going to heaven. About the time that he's rounding up Christians and persecuting them to death, I would have said that that guy's going to be in the lake of fire someday. I just know it. And I would have been dead wrong. But God promises that at the end, there's going to be a division. And some folks are going to be in heaven, and some folks are going to be in hell. You understand, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. So then he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, all these stories that he told were about the kingdom. Every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I, I like what one commentator said about that verse, and that is that that's exactly what Matthew is doing in this gospel. 
over and over as he's telling about the things that happened and about life in the kingdom and what Jesus said about life in the kingdom, he keeps going back to the Old Testament saying this was to fulfill this scripture. And, and this one was to fulfill this scripture. And when this happened, that was to fulfill this scripture. He's like a man who goes into his treasure and brings out new stuff as well as old. Okay? Jesus is what the new covenant is all about. In the Old Testament, there was the promise of God, especially through Jeremiah, that there would be a new covenant. When Jesus was celebrating Passover just before his crucifixion, he told his disciples, at the end of the meal, with the cup of thanksgiving, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus brought the new Jesus is the fulfillment of all the old. The law was perfectly lived out by Jesus. He didn't keep all the man-made rules, but he kept all of God's law perfectly. Perfectly. And then, having lived a sinless life, he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice that all the other sacrifices were pointing to. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And then, having died in our place, he conquered death, rising on the third day. Now, Jesus says, those who are taught the truth of the kingdom, need to recognize how it all ties together, the old and the new. Because let me tell you something. Those who just want to have the New Testament and say, you know, we don't have anything to do with the Old Testament, they don't understand the New Testament. They don't understand what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. But anybody who claims, as in Judaism, to believe the Old Testament and they haven't accepted the new, they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they don't yield their lives to him, they don't understand the old. When Jesus met two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're talking. Jesus said, you, you are so slow to understand what was written. And he began to explain to them all the scriptures of the Old Testament and how they pointed to exactly what happened. He had to die. He had to rise again. It's what was promised. And so in the New Testament, we find those, once they understood his followers explaining, this is what that was about. This is why this had to happen this way. This is exactly what God said. Now let me tell you something about the second coming of Christ. There are a lot of things in the scripture talking about what's going to happen. Including this passage that we just read about the judgment at the end. 
And sometimes when we try and put it together, it says, well, I, I, I think this is what this means and this is how it all fits together. And somebody else comes along and says, oh, no, 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 forget that. This is, this is how it all fits. This is how it works. Well, here's what I can guarantee you. When it happens, everybody's going to have to say, oh, that's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said would happen. Because God always keeps his promises. He does what he says. So when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there and came to his hometown. And he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Amazed by what? His wisdom. Where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers. Jesus did some miracles there. And they saw it, and they were amazed. Wow. And so everybody said, you're the greatest. We're so proud of you. This is fabulous. You grew up here and now you're, you're teaching things that are so wonderful and you're doing things that are just supernatural and we are so impressed. Is that what happened? No. Initially, they were amazed and then they began to get jealous. Who does he think he is? We know him. We remember when he was a kid. We know his mom. We know his siblings. Yes, Jesus had siblings. This is offensive. Who does he think he is? How is that possible? How is that possible that having heard the wisdom and being amazed by it, and having seen miracles and being amazed by them, that they would end up not believing him, not having faith in him, so much so that Jesus ended up not doing much in the way of miracles there. Other towns received the benefit. They brought all their sick. They brought the demon-possessed. And Jesus brought healing and deliverance. Crowds flocked to hear what he had to say, but in his hometown, it was like, he's one of us. Why is he talking like he's the son of God or something? We know his mom. Now, there's no indication that they thought ill of his mom or thought ill of his siblings. Instead, what we see is that his siblings were not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. They had not yet put their faith in him. And because of familiarity with the family, they didn't believe Jesus. Well, that's really sad, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, I'll tell you what's sad. Nowadays, in this world, those of us who claim the name of Christ are his family. We are his brothers and sisters. And people in this world who are trying to decide whether it's true or not, what they're going to believe, to a great extent, make their decision based on us, 
Do we really believe? Do we make the gospel more believable? Or do people look at us and say, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't believe in Jesus. Because that's what happened here. People, because of the familiar, said, I don't think so. And Jesus said, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Please notice, and in his own house. The family didn't treat him like God the Son. Grew up there. When Jesus was 12 years old, and they went up to Jerusalem, he stayed behind at the temple and amazed the scholars. His mother came back and said, oh, son, I'm so sorry. We should have been paying closer attention. No, she rebuked Jesus. How could you do this to us? We've been looking everywhere for you. And Jesus didn't say, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. I just lost track of time. He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Of course I'm at my father's house. Jesus knew who he was when he was 12 years old. But his mother knew who he was, but still thought of him as her little boy. Well, what are you doing, son? We saw just a few verses back when Jesus' mother and brothers came to take him away because they did not think he was taking care of himself. And therefore, they came to get him. They thought, according to Mark's gospel, that he was out of his mind. Wasn't out of his mind. He was the creator of the brain. Okay? Jesus hadn't lost his senses. He was doing his father's will. He said, I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the father tells me to say. But in his own house, he was without honor. How are we doing? How does he do in our house, in our life? Do we really believe who he is and what he says? A friend of mine who's a pastor in Pennsylvania wrote the other day in one of his devotionals that uh, it's not just the world that's full of unbelievers, it's churches. That there's a difference between believing intellectually, you know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. I mean, you know, there are churches all over the place that say that every week. But do you really believe? Do you really believe that? 
I shared with you a few lessons ago earlier in this chapter about trying to share the gospel with those two guys on the sidewalk down in Charleston, South Carolina. And my question to them, which was not premeditated on my part, I didn't know what I was going to say, but God knew what I needed to say and he helped me to say it. My question to them the night before Easter was, are you going to be in church tomorrow? And they said, yeah, I guess so, because they're, you know, southern boys. And I said, you are? Don't you know what's going to be happening there tomorrow? Now, why did I do that? Because they were going to go to church just like they did every year. But they didn't believe that stuff. If somebody said, do you really believe Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead? You really believe that? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe, I guess so. You know, know, that's what they say. (laughs) Do you believe it? You see... As I shared with them, and as I want you to understand, my life was transformed when I began treating Jesus like someone who's alive. Instead of an historical figure. I know so much stuff about Abraham Lincoln. I mean, I, I was born in Illinois, and therefore, you know, it's the land of Lincoln. And, uh, and I learned about him, and even though my father was from the South, there was a sense that, you know, we're blessed to live in America and it would be a divided continent with the North and the South if it hadn't been for the war. And we're sorry about all the bloodshed, bloodiest war in American history by far. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a good thing that we're still one country, sort of. So as a kid, early on, I started learning about American history, and I, and I learned Lincoln was one of, the, one of the great figures in American history. I also learned about my relatives. Lincoln was not one. George Washington was. You know, I, I, I learned about, uh, I'm related to four presidents. I don't know if I've mentioned that in the last week. Um, but, but here's the thing. I don't know any of those people. I know about them, but I don't know them. You understand? Jesus, on the other hand, I met him. Are you saying you had some sort of vision where he came into your room? No, 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 no. I heard the message about him, and I began speaking to him when I was a little child as if he was real, as if he was alive. When I realized one night, as a child, lying in my bed, that I had never asked him to save me. I mean, it, it, it just occurred to me that I believed this stuff was true. I believed that I was a sinner, that I deserved hell, that Jesus had come and died on the cross to pay for my sins and had risen from the dead and is alive. I believed all of that. But I never did anything about it. During camp, I think it was like this past summer, when I was doing the camp devotional, 
I invited a child from the congregation to come up and receive from me, I think it was $20. Does that ring a bell? $20, I think. And, and some kids, when you offer them that, are like, really? Yes, really. Uh, they're wondering, what's the trick? Is he going to pull it away at the last second? Well, I mean, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is awkward, and I'm up in front of everybody, and I don't know what to do. One kid came when I offered it to her, and she went, thank you. And I said, thank you. <laughs> that was the perfect response. She believed what I said and received the gift. And that's what I did when I was a kid. I moved from just believing it intellectually, yes, I believe that, to really believing and acting on it. I asked him to save me. You know what he did at that point? He saved me, which is exactly what he said he would do. He promised, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I asked him to save me, and he did. He didn't just forgive my sins. He came into my life, which is what I asked him to do. Thank you. It's true. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And there are tons of people who hear that, and they think, huh, interesting. Hmm. I can kind of envision that. Do you know him? If you really know him, it changes everything. It changes everything. Um, how, how tall were you when, when you got saved? Oh, I was a lot shorter. So if I get saved, will I get a lot taller? I can't promise that. I knew a Christian singer years ago who was very popular years ago. And when she was in kindergarten and first grade, she was the biggest kid in the class. By the time she was in fourth grade, she was four feet 11 inches tall. She was way bigger than the other kids. In fifth grade, she was four feet 11 inches tall. In 10th grade, she was four feet 11 inches tall. And when I knew her, she was in her 20s, and she was 4 feet 11 inches tall. She had a song. I'm only 4 foot 11, but I'm going to heaven, and that makes me feel 10 feet tall. <laughs> Jesus doesn't promise that he's going to change your height, your weight. Not likely to change your eye color. Ask Amy Carmichael. But I'll tell you this, he'll change your character. He'll change your affections. He'll change your ambitions. He'll change you, make you like him, so that you love what he loves. The song we sang when I was a kid is, Things Are Different Now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. A lot of people look at us and they see us as his family. But if we don't really believe 
if we don't really trust him and yield our lives to him, then unfortunately it becomes an obstacle to other people coming to faith. Now I'm not telling you that they have an excuse. If anybody really wants to know the truth, God will make it clear to them. But we need to stop making it easy for people to go to hell. We need to start really believing what we say we believe. Trusting him and responding to him based on the fact that it is true. He is alive and he is Lord. Father, change us, we pray. Transform us from the inside out. Make us like Jesus. That is what you've promised to those who are yours. And that is what we long for. The day when we will see you face to face and see that you have finished the work you began in us. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.